I want to get to, uh, get to business here. Let's, put, let's look into our Bibles, all right? We have the opportunity from time to time to really enjoy uh, some athletics. You know, the League Olympics are on now. And what do you think about this three-on-three? What is, what is that? I grew up in a, in a basketball family. My, uh, my roots take me back to Indiana and the, the Hoosier mania, the, knuckle, the knuckle-headed uh, uh, people up there. They just go crazy over basketball. And I remember I, was, I, was, I cut my teeth on, on gymnasium. And my dad was a very avid basketball player, and so I, I grew up with all these terminologies and the, the idea of having the two-on-one or the three-on-two breakaway, the fast break where you, were, where you had the opponent outnumbered and had them backpedaling the whole time. It was, depending on which team you were cheering for, you were either elated or devastated at what was going to take place because you knew, ooh, this is not going to be good or, oh, this is going to be fantastic. Imagine, if you will, the, op- the option of being, having a four-on-one. Can you imagine being that one lone defender standing there in front of the basket thinking, they're going to kill me. They're going to run right up in front of me. I'm going to look like a knucklehead. The opportunity of four-on-one is in this text, and I want us to look at that. Look, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him, bringing, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him to get him to Jesus because of the crowd they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on when Jesus saw their faith he said to the paralytic son your sins are forgiven folks the courage it takes to bring others to Christ is based on three keys in this passage And I'm admitting, and I'm telling you right now, it takes courage. It takes courage to bring people to Christ. It's not an easy thing to do. And I want us to look at some of the keys to that passage. Before we go any further, though, I'd like for you to join me in prayer. Father, we take this time to focus on you. We are asking that your presence be be vividly noticeable right now we know that you're always here when two or three are gathered we know that you're listening to our every thought and our every prayer just make your presence known today i pray in jesus name amen you look at this passage you think well there's just five verses he's just going to go just five there's not there's not much to this story there's just not a whole lot there but I want to break this out. I want to, I want to frame this up in a way. I, I want you to smell the dust. This little five-verse story is packed full of emotion. It's packed full of action. And I just want you to smell 
the dust. I had the opportunity to be in the Middle East. I spent 23 days in the Middle East on an archaeological tour. Spent four days in the city of Jerusalem. Four days. As I walked across the stones, these stones were there when our Lord Jesus Christ walked across them. And it, it is a different feeling to realize I'm standing on stones that Jesus walked across. And as I, as I tell stories, and if I, were to, if I were to describe to you what it's like to walk through, a, through a, a, an, an Arabian souk, which is their marketplace, I can still smell the strong, pungent, pungent uh, uh, spice of saffron that just permeates everything. I want you to smell the dust of these five verses. The first key I want us to draw out of this passage comes out of verse 1 because very simply, Jesus draws people to himself. The mere rumor brought people out. Understand in this day, there was no texting. There was no tweeting. There was no cell phone. There was no telephone. The people, it simply says, the people heard he had come home. The word got out. They heard that he had come home. He had come home. Now that catches my attention. Where was Jesus born? This is where you speak to me. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. But that's not where he was. You looking at verse 1? But it says he came home. Well, you may be like me. I didn't grow up in the city I was born in. So where did Jesus, where did Jesus grow up? He was known as Jesus of Nazareth. That's not where he is either. Okay. Let's just admit it. The Bible's wrong. No takers? Oh, okay. Jesus had come home. He was in Capernaum. Capernaum was his second home. Capernaum was up in the Sea of Galilee in the Galilean region. Jesus was born down in Bethlehem, down in Judea. But he grew up in Nazareth, which is also up in the Galilean region. But they said he had come home. What place was he calling home? Well, if you've got a Bible and you've got it open there in chapter 2 of Mark, you can just go across the page to chapter 1 and look at verses 29 through 31. There again in Jerusalem, and it says this, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her and he went to her and took her hand and she and, and helped her up and the fever left her and she began to wait on them. They were in Simon's home. I have a question for you. How many single guys do we have in here this morning? Single guys, this is where you raise your hand. Boldly, strongly, with courage. 
If you have to turn to the girl next to you and ask her if you're single, you're probably not. <laughs> single guys, their, their, their apartment, their, their house, their, their home, their man cave. Imagine the manly man cave with a nice 90-inch flat-screen TV, killer sound system, You've got that strategically placed recliner with dueling big cup holders on, the, on either side. You've got an array table of, for all your different remotes. And you're walking around that man cave and you're thinking, I am the king of my castle. This is my world. But you look and you think, well, something is, something is missing here. What's, what this place needs is, this place needs a mother-in-law. Any single guys in the market for a mother-in-law? No. Nowhere in the Gospels does it say, nowhere in the Gospels does it say that Peter was married. But he's got a mother-in-law. How big of a stretch is it for you to figure out if you got a mother-in-law, you probably have a wife? Again, the Gospels don't say it, but it does, it does give us a clue about his status in 1 Corinthians 9, 5. It says, Paul was writing and he said, Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Cephas? Simon Peter? There are those who are concerned that if you're in a certain religious organization, that if you were to follow the ways and the teaching and the leadership style of, of Peter, that you must, in fact, be celibate. That all of the men in that field, in that clergy field, if they are to operate within their religious structure, they must be single, unmarried, to, be, to follow Peter. But I'm thinking, how, what guy in his right mind, as a single fellow, would say, let's just, you know, it's the holiday season, let's just go get a mother-in-law. <laughs> I'm going to let you figure that one out all by yourself, okay? And there's no extra charge on that one. So we're in verses 1 and 2 where we realize that the people hear that, he's, that, that Jesus has come home to his second home, to that place where he hangs out when he's not any place else. And what does he do? He says he preaches to them. He teaches them. He doesn't waste the opportunity. He doesn't waste the opportunity. It's obvious the people came expecting something. They crowded into this house. So he didn't say, hey, we got a good crew here. Let's all play Jenga. He preached to them. We need to be intentional with what we do. We need to have method to our madness. When we have the opportunity to bring others close to Christ, we need to be ready. The problem with that is we need to know what we're talking about. 
we need to be better disciples of Jesus Christ. So that we have people coming together and they're meeting with us, we don't miss that opportunity. You see, the people came expecting something. When they heard it was Jesus, there were expectations. Now make no mistake, if Christ is home, people will come. If Christ is home, people will come. If, if Christ is home, people will come. And you're thinking, that's why we built this building, and that's why we have those doors, and that's why we're here. Because this is what church people do. It's Sunday morning. What do church people do on Sunday morning? We go to church. Jesus is here. Come. If that were true, every church building would have garage doors all along the sides because it would be Sunday morning. It's church time. What do church people do? Church people go to church. Hey, Jesus is here. You come on. Just come on on in, folks. It doesn't happen, does it? If Christ is at home, people come. If Christ is home, people come. People need to see Christ in us. I've been in this business for 43 years. No one has ever walked up to me and said, hey, you just walked out of that building there with a cross on top. What goes on inside there? No one has ever asked me what goes on inside of a church building. But I have had people say, you seem to live differently than other people around here, which I've been accused of in many different ways. Spend 30 minutes in my head, you'd find out. But they say, you're not like other people. Why are you different? And I'm able to say, with all my flaws, the difference is Jesus. When Jesus is home, people will come. People are attracted to the Son of God. We may be lousy window dressing, we don't want them to see us. We want them to see Jesus through us. We want to become almost translucent so that our flaws and problems aren't a distraction to what they need. The second key I want you to pick up on is that bringing others to Christ may require our best efforts. You see, this passage tells us that this, this gentleman that was being brought, he was a paralytic. He was a paralytic. He was brought by others. How many, how many men were with him when he came? You can answer. At least four. Again, read the passage carefully. It says, some men came bringing with them a paralytic carried by four of them. 
We know there was at least four. There may have been more of them. But four brought one. Why? Because he was paralyzed. Well, you're looking at me right now thinking, well, duh, okay. He can't get there on his own. There are those who touch your life right now, today. There are people that you know that are paralyzed. They're paralyzed by fear. They're paralyzed by stress. They're paralyzed by depression. They're paralyzed by addiction. And on their own, they cannot help themselves. They're paralyzed. They need someone to bring them to Jesus. And it becomes very flippant and very insensitive of us to say, well, we, got, we advertise when we're open. All they got to do is show up. We'll be glad to welcome them through the doors. Really? Is that the best we can do? They know when we're here. If they really wanted Jesus, they would come. Right? Isn't that what we think? If they really wanted to learn about Jesus, we're here. Not if they're paralyzed. For whatever reason. They're without hope. And they need compassionate people that care enough about their eternity to reach out to them. The third key I want you to consider this morning is that Jesus blesses those who are committed to Him. He blesses those who are committed to Him. You may perk up at this point and say, ooh, that could be me. Because I'm committed to Him. Yes! Verse 4 tells us when these guys couldn't get Him through the crowd... They cut a hole in the roof. They cut a hole in the roof. The original Greek language tells us that they actually tore apart the roof. They didn't take it apart in segments and set it aside. Saying, okay guys, now we need to remember where all these pieces go. because we." No, it says they tore it apart. It shows a stronger intent on the part of these friends. Now, at this point, we need to do a little review here. Whose roof are they on? Whose house are they standing on top of? Whose roof are they tearing apart? Whose house? Simon Peter. Simon Peter's house has been invaded. It says that they were coming from synagogue. They were, at their, they were good Jewish guys. They, had been, they were at synagogue on Saturday. And like any other good religious person, they, right after synagogue time, they were coming home for synagogue dinner, fried chicken. He's got Jesus is with him, so he's feeling pretty good about himself. I mean, who wouldn't want to walk around the house saying, Jesus is at my house? ha. <laughs> Yeah, you got a flat screen TV, I've got Jesus. 
He's got Jesus. He's got his brother Andrew. He's got James and John. He's thinking, this is going to be a cool dinner. Who are all these other people? What would it be like if everybody here this morning went to your house for lunch today and didn't tell you? They just show up. These people are in Peter's house. They're crowded in. They said there's no room in the house, even through the door. So they're in his living quarters. They're sitting on everything. They're sitting on the arm of the sofa. Your mama taught you nobody sits on the arm of the sofa. They're sitting on the so arm of the sofa. They're sitting on the end table. They're moving wedding gifts aside. So he's going, oh no, 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 don't, don't, please. Oh, this is a, this is this is a disaster. What else could possibly happen? Why is there dust falling from my ceiling? They're tearing his roof apart. Where's that dust going to go? Down. All those people, all those people, shoulder to shoulder, packed in there. I don't think they made deodorant then. They're in there, all closed quarters, with the Son of God. Do you understand that? Jesus is in there. Everybody is. Because <coughs> there's, no, there's no ventilation system. That's like, quick, turn on the ceiling fans. Choking, gasping, and they're tearing a roof in his, they're tearing a hole in his roof. At this point, I want to stop and ask you the question. What crowds do you deal with? What crowds prevent you from bringing someone to Jesus these four guys at least four of them ran into a crowd and it was like bumper cars they could not you ever had that log jam at the at one one end of the of the uh, of, of the bumper cars at the fair where everybody is just stuck in there and no one goes anywhere you cannot get through these guys couldn't get through and they're guys okay so they didn't have a plan b they didn't come with a contingency. Did they say, okay, we'll be there and for 17 minutes we will try to enter the, 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 the location and if at the end of 17 minutes we are unable to approach the Son of God, we will divert to plan B, which will be scaling the side of their house. They didn't bring ropes. They didn't have climbing gear. They're just a bunch of guys that want to bring their friend to Jesus. The difference is they weren't going to leave until their friend came to Christ. What crowds prevent you from bringing your friends to Christ? What do you bump up against emotionally? What do you bump up against socially that prevents you from bringing your friend to Christ? I'm not talking about evangelizing your enemy. I'm not talking about going and finding that bully that picked on you in grade school. I'm talking about your friends. I'm talking about your friends, people that you know that don't have Jesus. 
What is keeping you from bringing them to Christ? What is the crowd that pushes you back? How creative are you willing to be for the sake of somebody else's salvation? That's really what it comes down to. How creative are you willing to be for somebody else's salvation? Because let's close out with verse 5. It says, When Jesus saw their faith, he forgave his sins. Don't miss location in this. This is a short little verse, and the story goes on from here. So a lot of times we just run right past this. Look at the location. When Jesus saw their faith, plural, he forgave the paralytic sins. Do you get that? Do you get that? Their faith, his sins. Their faith, his sins. In essence, Jesus was looking at those guys peering through the... It had to be almost comical. These guys are up there practically naked because you know they made ropes out of their clothes to lower this guy down in there. So they're up there in their, in their skivvies looking through this hole in the roof thinking, well, what's going to happen now? They had no clue. This wasn't part of their plan. Their only plan was to bring their friend to Jesus and go, uh, uh, I don't know. So apparently you don't have to have a Bible college education to bring people to Jesus. Is, is that news to you? All they knew was to let nothing stand in their way of bringing their friend to Jesus. And Jesus steps up with all the dust going aside and speaks to them. Now this whole experience to me is fascinating because the one person that is overlooked until verse 5 is the guy on the, on, the, on the stretcher, the guy on the mat, who had to be engaged in this in a very limited way because he was not in control. Do you, ever, do you have any friends whose life is out of control? They're out of control. But their friends... His friend said, you are going to meet Jesus. He said, I know when they bumped up against that crowd, I'm sure he said, is there anybody in here named Abner? Okay, paralytic's name's Abner today. Abner had to be looking and saying, hey, okay, guys, I appreciate this. It's been a great field trip. I, hey, tell you what, no, we're, we can't get in. It's too crowded. Tell you what, I'll buy. We're all going, we're all going to Dairy Queen out on the way home. I'm buying. Let's, let's, let's go. Guys, let's go. What are we? I don't want to go up on. The, why am I going up on the roof? This is not a good plan, guys. Let's don't do this. We, time out. We need to have a meeting. We're on his roof, guys. What are you doing? You're tearing a hole in his roof. He is going to be so mad, guys. No, 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 no. Put your clothes back on. This is not. I. Oh, I don't need to brainwash now. This is the. Uh, what are you doing? Time. You're low. He's lowered into the presence of the Son of God. What do you say when you're lowered into the presence of the Son of God? 
the only thing that comes to my mind was thought I'd drop in. What else are you going to say? The guy's paralyzed. He can't move. He's at the mercy of those who are with him. And they bring him to Jesus. And everybody just watches. Do you see that? In five verses, all of this has taken place. Everybody is watching, and it's Jesus and this guy on a mat. Nothing glorious, nothing sanitary, dust all over everything. And Jesus sees their faith and says, your sins are forgiven. And his life is changed forever. And the guys up on the roof are going, cool. Didn't see this coming. We had no clue what would happen. But look what happens when you let nothing stop you from bringing your friends to Christ. What if we broke up in the teams of four? What if in this room we broke up in the teams of four and you all picked someone that all four of you knew that needed Jesus and said, 12 months. 12 months. Next August, they're going to be in Jesus. They're going to meet Jesus Christ. The four of us are going to figure it out. All of a sudden, showing up on, on Sunday to church is not just coming in here, sitting in the pew, looking at the back of the head of the person in front of you, which is awkward for you on the front. Church has a new meaning. It's a strategy session. You're here, and the four of you come together and say, man, ooh, that plan last week didn't work so well. That wasn't really good. That, that was kind of bad. When do you come up with a different plan? And you talk about it in your small group. You talk about it in your Sunday school class. Yeah, we're all, the four of us are bringing so-and-so to, to Jesus, and we're kind of we're out of ideas. What do you guys think? It changes why you come. It gives you new meaning of why you're here. And when you have a success, and when, you, and when Jesus comes through and, and says, Whoa! Your sins are forgiven. When they come to Christ, and the four of you are standing there, and they're immersed into Jesus Christ, and the, the hair on the back of your neck stands up, it is unlike any other experience. And I know what you'll do. As soon as they come out of the baptistry, you're going... Who's next? Because you see why we're here. This is what it's all about. The body of Christ growing, bringing others to Jesus, even when they're paralyzed. It's a commitment we need to make to ourselves. We've got to be able to say we, sh we should not allow anything to prevent us from bringing our friends to Christ. The, the sermon about bringing your enemies to Christ comes later on. Mark will preach about that, okay? Let's just worry about your friends. We shouldn't let anything prevent us from bringing our friends to Christ it's why we're here 
There are no attendance pins in heaven. It's just a matter of loving God and loving people and looking into the hearts of others and saying, if you only had Jesus, your problems wouldn't go away, but you'd be able to bear them differently. Life's different in Jesus. We're here to figure out how to get that done. And every person that you can think of is going to require a different strategy. There is no cookie-cutter evangelism. Every person that you can think of, every friend you have outside of Christ is a different strategy. But that's why we're here. Let's strategize. Let's decide now who's going to be sitting with you at Central Christian Church next August. Who's it going to be? Who are you going to bring? Four on one, I like those odds. And if it means their eternity, I think they will too. Let's pray. Father, this opportunity is here every time we gather. There is no time limit on what you do or how you do it. We don't mean to struggle. We don't mean to, to be difficult. But sometimes we just get ourselves turned around. We lose our focus. We think that this stuff is all, for, all about us. And it's not. It's all about you. Father, we won't be like the guys that, that tear off the roof. We don't claim to be geniuses. But doggone it, Father, we are committed to you. And we are determined to make a difference in this world. And that difference is going to come through Jesus Christ. Let us be used by you, Father. Let people see Jesus in us. In Jesus' name, amen.